Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast where we're going to talk about Warren Buffett style long-term investing where we try to go for low risk and high rates of return. Which sounds imaginary and yet I believe that perhaps it is possible. And yet the Securities Exchange and yet, Commission exclamation point would say to me, you are smoking something because this is a world where you can't get high rates of return with low risk. Well, that's what they would say. Probably a lot of people would say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, I think this is more of a world like you're going to a garage sale <laughs> and you can find a Bowflex for $10 because people get emotional about what they own and decide they want out of it for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with the value of the thing they're selling. They just want out. And that kind of thing sometimes applies when a company goes through a major crisis or the, the economy goes through a major crisis and then things go on sale. This is, of course, Warren Buffett's opinion. It's Charlie Buffett's opinion. Charlie Munger. Sorry, Charlie Munger's opinion. I mean, I get that you're saying that emotions are involved, but I think even in the garage sale example, it doesn't always have to be super emotional. Like it can be like, oh, I have to move and my new house doesn't have room for my Bowflex. I feel nothing about this and yet I will sell it at the garage sale because that seems like the best choice for my life. Well, that might be the case, except that, you know, we have a friend named Janice who buys you know, that kind of stuff from garage sales all the time, even finds Bowflex machines in people's garbage. Yeah, because Bowflex is the kind of thing you buy and you don't use. So yeah. I bet they're all over the place. But there's a certain irrationality to throwing something away that Janice takes, no changes, dusts it off and sells it on eBay for $300. Yeah, but the point is there can be other reasons for that besides pure emotion. That's true. But in the market, the the people who, who are essentially... Um, theorizing that the market is always rational and everything is priced exactly according to its real value, the market would say that's impossible, that no one would give away a $300 machine because that's irrational. Right. The stock market pricing structure of pure market economy is based on the idea that people are buying or selling rationally right. at all times. Right. Which and yet... But to They're me, not. is like patently ridiculous because we're all human and we all make mistakes all the time. And how could that be any less true amongst the people who trade stocks? And you're absolutely <laughs> right. But I think these the modern portfolio theorists would say, yeah, well, individually, we might make all kinds of mistakes. And so there's, of course, in the millions of people who are trading IBM, all sorts of opinions. But that mass opinion is going to come out at the proper value. Yeah, which, you know, I also get like and, and I think that there's a reason a lot of people think that that's a very smart thing to say. It's probably true a lot of the time. And we've had this discussion. Yeah. It's true a lot of the time. Yes. And yet some of the time it is not. Yes. Second point, it depends on your time horizon. Yes. So I think between those two things. Those two are huge. By the, the that's way. pretty much the that's, rule one philosophy. This is right? kind of amazing. You sort of <laughs> soaked that all up and you've got it and just spit it back better than I could. Yeah, it only took me a year and a half. <laughs> but that's really what it boils down to is that the market's right most of the time, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. And so if you can be patient and wait for those times when you can see that it's not right, you can make a lot of money with low risk. That's the essence of this. It's a combination of patience and readiness. And readiness. Like ready you, to strike on that day. I mean, and I find both of those things very difficult. We've talked about that a bunch. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's the yin and the yang. You know, it's the combination between like I could be waiting five years and I might have to buy a whole bunch of stuff tomorrow. Yeah, that's the yin and the yang? That's a yin and a, that's a yin. Which one's the yin? I, the waiting or the whatever, buying? It can be whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point is that they are the same yet opposite. And if you flip the circle around, they are still the same yet opposite. I am so impressed by that and completely have no idea what you just said. So <laughs> moving on, unless you want to explain yourself, Miss Yin Yang. Imagine the yin and the yang. Do you know what it looks like? Yeah, I do. It's a circle. Yeah. And then in the circle is this squiggly line. Yeah. And the opposite sides of the squiggly line are the same, except yeah. opposite. Well, and they also have a little itty bitty dot in each side. They do. Which is the other one. Oh, whoa. 
Yeah, God. yeah, you didn't know that. You huh? just blew my mind. Yeah, the yin contains a little dot of yang. Really? Uh huh. And so does the the yang contains a little dot of yin. I would like someone to explain that to me. You have to talk to Johnny Gray. He explained it to me. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> men are from Mars, women are from Venus, but men have some Venus in them. <laughs> <laughs> say that's accurate and that's i suppose cool. some of us <laughs> have more venus than others have a little bit of mars in them yes exactly exactly right and some of y'all some have more, more than mars others. than others yeah, yeah there you go um so we have Melissa, good- by the way has some serious mars in her that girl's got some mars I guess that means you've got some Venus. I am very Venusy. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> or I got a lot more Mars than she does. I'm gonna have it. to think about that one. Yeah. So I too. got married about six weeks ago. Yeah. As you know, we have not announced it on the podcast yet because we eloped, and I wanted to make sure I told everybody in my life. And I've been keeping. Um, I've been keeping it zipped before announcing it, but. Yeah, we, we eloped not because we didn't want you there, as you know. I know. But we just had to just get it done, and we wanted it to just be the two of us, and nobody else was there. So it was really sweet. I really have to strongly recommend this to everyone. <laughs> i got to say, you know what? You, 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 everybody has these big wedding plans and everything else, and it just makes the bride and groom crazy. Just so hard to deal with. You know, I totally understand people who want big weddings. I think it's a lovely day. I think it's, 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 you know, what people always say, this is what annoyed me about, you know, not getting married earlier is that like people always say it's the one time when everybody you love is around you. And that's unfortunately true. I think it should be like when your PhD thesis is accepted (laughs) or like you win the Nobel prize or something. But unfortunately in our culture, it's happens to be when you get married. Um, so, you know, I have comments on that one, but I think we should, I think we should work on that. But, um, but that's why people want to have a big wedding. So I get it. But for us, it was, um, just a bit overwhelming. Well, I'm thrilled with, uh, with your husband. Nuno is an amazing, amazing guy and he fits into the family so well and he fits I should actually get him on this podcast at some point because he is an incredible... <laughs> I think I might let him live his own private life. He's very Maybe private. So. He is very private. And, um, and, and yeah, I'm but sure he, I'll mention him occasionally. He's, but. A, he's an amazing guy, though. He's an international... He's an expert at international banking, and he consults on that out of Zurich, Switzerland, all over the world, and, and is, uh, is fabulous at what he does. And he's also got this background where he's, you know, he's almost a professional tennis player. He was. And, almost. Um, almost. <laughs> and, a, and a professional rally car race driver. He was. And he's this, he's such an interesting pile of things in that uh, Mars side of him. It's really, really amazing. I like him. I yeah. think I'll keep him. Yeah, he's a good man. So we've got to get him on here. He can teach us a lot about modern portfolio theory, actually, which is used a lot in his, his world. Or we can just ask him on the side and then report to everybody. Okay, well, maybe we should do that. But let's, let's roll back on to, uh, to where we're at here, because I, I want to I wanna, um, bring, bring us back to our beginnings. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking with mentioning that I got married. I'm, we're coming back to basics. Yeah. And I'm excited. We had a good podcast last time where we talked about Horsehead Holdings. If you guys missed that one, go back and listen to it. It was a really interesting discussion about looking at a company from the beginning and then looking back at it um, after a number of years mm-hmm. and seeing what happened. Mm-hmm. And so we decided today to start a series. We don't know how many parts it will have. Trust me, you guys, this is going to be you're going to like where it ends up going. I'm, I'm making this series happen. We're not going to let it go. And it's going to be a series on Back to Basics. So we are literally coming back. Well, 60% the, of the time, this is 100% of the time, a one to eight part series. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I said before we started this, I want to tell everyone this is part one of eight parts. And dad goes, we're never going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. a four-part series. It might be. I think it's going to be eight parts. Let's see if I'm right. Okay, I'm going to say eight. What's your prediction? Uh, I'm not going to back off of it. I'm I'm thinking eight as well. No, four's too few. You know we're going to jabber more than four. Yeah. I feel like nine is too many. Nine's too many. I think we're six to eight. I'll go six. Okay, you go six. I'll go six. You go eight. Okay. All right. Um, So we're coming back to the beginning of our podcast to Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger 
had an interview with the BBC in, what year was this? Do we know? 2000, I want to say 2009. It was after the crash. I think it was 2009, yeah. yeah. And you can look it up on YouTube. I just Googled it on YouTube under BBC Charlie Munger, and it comes up. And at minute six, there's a title slide that says Munger and Buffett's checklist for picking a company to invest in. And, um, and I know we've played this for all you guys who listened from the very beginning of our podcast, but for those of you who are just coming in, and for us to remind us, I want to start listening to Charlie again. And what we're going to do in this series is listen to Charlie and using the knowledge that I've gotten over the last year and a half, go back through our four points of how to find a company and then analyze it and then value it. And we've talked about valuation, guys. So we're going to go through valuation and then we're going to wrap it all up in a nice little bow of here's how you do it. Back to basics, start to finish. How does that sound? You cannot even imagine what it's like to be me right now listening to you. No, I cannot. Because describe a year it. ago... Describe it for us. A year ago, you heard this checklist and were flum- just like, what is going on? No, I had no idea what was going no on. Idea. And now, I think there's a whole new world here. So let's is. let's start it up. Fire it up and let's right. see where we go. This is Charlie Munger talking about how he chooses a company to invest in on the BBC in a mysterious year that may be 2009. Yep. And uh, it's one minute long and he summarizes the entire investment strategy of rule one investing. Here we go. <laughs> to deal in things that we're capable of understanding. And then, once we're over that filter, we have to have a business with some intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage. And then, of course, we would vastly prefer a management in place with a lot of integrity and talent. And finally, No matter how wonderful it is, it's not worth an infinite price. So we have to have a price that makes sense and gives a margin of safety considering the natural vicissitudes of life. That's a very simple set of ideas. And the reason that our ideas have not spread faster is they're too simple. The professional classes can't justify their existence if that's all they have to say. I mean, it's all so obvious and so simple. What would they have to do with the rest of the semester? And there's Charlie. So let's recap it real he's quick. He's such a smug. <laughs> he's 90-something years old. I, I really he's been enjoy doing this him a long time. Because he's so crotchety. Yeah. And you can just tell he's like, look at all these idiots in the entire rest of the world. Even in that interview in another part, he's, he calls everybody idiots. Like, It's just like, basically, you guys are messing up. Like, what's up? Well, in another, This is so obvious. And, what it, else is there even to talk what, about for four Is there four anything months? to talk about? And on the other... But part of that interview, too, you guys should listen to the whole thing, but part of the interview itself is another, another part where he basically says, look, if you're not capable of comfortably watching your portfolio decline 50% two or three times in your lifetime, um, then you are not emotionally equipped to be an investor. Yeah, he does. But the, what's he says it straight out. He says, leave it like all the rest of the people are not going to be able to handle it. Right. Let those people go down with the ship, basically. Yeah. And you are the one who needs to be able to emotionally ride it out. Which, which is astonishing, really, because he's saying this right on the heels of the stock market dropping over 50%. And everyone who was sitting in a portfolio that was managed by professionals at Morgan Stanley, at J.P. Morgan, at Fidelity, you name it, all of those people, whether they were in an aggressive portfolio, where they were willing to take risk and be in the stock for a long period of time, or a safe, you know, relatively safe portfolio with very low risk stocks and blah, blah, blah. They all went down 50% or more. Yeah. And so here's Charlie saying, if you buy individual stocks, you've got to be emotionally ready to handle um, a few times where you're sitting in them and you don't want to sell them and they go down 50%. And yet, what is he saying for the rest of the people who are supposedly not emotionally equipped to do that? They put their money in exchange traded funds and mutual funds and still go down 50% twice in the last 16 years. 
He's saying those people are going down. And That's what he's saying. And he's since saying they're not if, emotionally he's equipped for if it. You, it's an if-then scenario. Yeah. If you cannot handle the emotions, you will go down. And yeah. full stop. And full stop. You're going to go... Which and, leaves us no choice, obviously, but to handle the emotions. Well, there is, there is this thing that happens as the market starts down... People start to get a, more and more concerned, and, it, and of course their advisors are saying stay in for the long term, and then the market goes down more. And this is a particularly applicable to you if you're a baby boomer or near baby boomer um, looking toward retirement in the next few years. The market starts going down, and you know that you do not want to have a permanent loss of capital. So your advisor is saying, well, you know, stay in, it'll, it'll rebound, it's just a floor, you know, it's going to bounce off. And then it doesn't, and it keeps going down. Now it's down 15 20%. Now everyone's very nervous, and they're calling it a recession. Then it goes down 25%. Then people get really scared, and now you're getting scared. Your neighbors are taking their money out. Pretty soon, over a six-month period, everyone starts to realize the stock market's going down. And you then say, let's get out of this thing. Your advisor says, no, 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 stay in, stay in for the long haul. You know, this is the kind of emotion that screws you up. Yeah. And it continues going down. Now it's down 40% and you pull out. Yeah. All right. So you sell off everything. You've lost 40%. And then you sit there and you sit there and you sit there. And side note, I totally get it. Sure. Like we all totally get it. Sure. And you sit there and what happens That's is... That's not something to, to be ashamed of or... You know, I mean, that's natural. That is natural. And then what happens is the market starts to go back up, but you don't have a crystal ball. You don't see the future. So it goes up a little and then starts down again. And you think, oh, here it comes again. We're going down 80%. I'm so glad I got out. And you know what? In 1930s, it did go down 80%. And you were so glad you got out at 40% loss, right? But, you know, it goes down to 50% this time. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad I got out. I saved that big chunk of my retirement. And then it goes back up and now you, and then it goes back up a little more. And then it, and suddenly you wake up six years later and the market has completely gone back up to where it was. And you're still sitting in cash because you, well, yeah. you never, you, there was never this moment where you felt confident to put it back in because you're so close to retirement. And that's what you're facing right now. A lot of you guys who are listening to this are looking right into the teeth of a market, which by several standards that we've talked about in the past, the Schiller PE, by the Wilshire GDP ratio, um, by a relationship of historical profit margins to current profit margins, um, by what's going on with currencies and federal central banks, there's every reason to be very concerned that this market could crumble at some point and go down another 50%. Except this time, you don't have 10 or 15 years to wait while it recovers. So what Charlie's saying is true in one sense, that if you're not able to take a 50% decline in the market um, during your lifetime, you really shouldn't be an investor. But right now, there's no, there's no where else are you going to go? You, you, you're going to put your money in bonds and get a 1% yield. Uh, you want your money in real estate. They're slowing down the number of houses being built right now because real estate's faltering a little bit. And if they raise interest rates, real estate goes in the tank. So where do you put your money? And people are caught in this horrible trap right now. It's really, really very tough. What he says is if you can't handle the emotions, you shouldn't invest on your own. What you're saying is you have no other choice but to invest on your own. <laughs> no, you're, even if you don't invest on your own, you're going to go through those same emotions because those people are going to put your money in the stock market That's and it's true. still going to go down 50%. That's true. So what I'm hearing is you got to handle your emotions. Yes. <laughs> so some people handle it. By Which is what, well, I mean, it's what we keep talking about, you know, like, and if, I mean, good Lord, here we are back to basics. And the first thing we're talking about is emotions instead exactly. of, instead of Charlie's checklist. Well, Charlie's checklist starts, starts with a guy with who's emotions. very rational <laughs> and has control of his emotions. Yeah. I mean, I, we should play that section actually where he talks about this emotional thing. Maybe we'll do that on part two yeah. of our series when I have it teed up. Okay. But, um, but, I mean, clearly he's not somebody who's ever had a problem with this, which makes him a very unique, per very unique, oh my God, listen to me, just hit me if I ever say something like that again. Why? You can't be very unique. Why unique, not? Unique means one of a kind. Well, very unique is especially one, one of a kind. kind. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie is a unusual individual in that I assume there is more than one person like him 
in being able to handle his emotions and investing because Warren Buffett seems to be example number two. Well, I think Charlie and Warren are very unique. Does that work then? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> They're rare birds. Dad. They're rare birds. Rare birds. Um, They're rare and the birds. Rest, and, the, and the point is the rest of us don't have these skills or we would have realized it when we were 11 years old and gone into investing the way they did. And the way you did, frankly. You also handle your emotions extremely well with all this stuff. As you've said, nobody's shooting at you, so it doesn't seem like such a big deal. But they ultimately, emotional control and being able to be rational when everybody else is losing their mind and selling off everything, the, the ability to be rational depends on knowledge. And ultimately, that's what these guys hold as the difference between the way we invest as a rule one investor and modern portfolio theory is that they think risk comes from not knowing stuff, not from the market bouncing around. They don't think that's risk. They just think risk is you don't know Wait, what you who, own. Who's they? Who thinks? M- uh, Munger and Buffett. They think that, so, sorry, say that again? That risk comes from not knowing things, from buying companies you don't understand. From putting your money into an index of the S&P 500, none of which you know anything about. Munger and Buffett think ignorance is the risk. Ignorance is the risk. Well said. (laughs) Did I say it wrong? No, you said it perfectly. It just confused me. I think it was too many negatives. I got confused. So, in other words, if if you're driving your car to work and you know how to drive a car, it's not risky. If you're, right. if you're sitting in the seat with your 12-year-old nephew who doesn't know how to drive a car, then you're not even going to get there. Now, let me give you the obvious counterpoint, which is, of course, it's totally risky to drive a car on a road, even though you know how to drive. And the reason for that is other drivers. And the point being? The point being, in the market, even if you know a lot of stuff, there's still other idiots out there who might run into you. We need to talk about that. And we're going to talk about that. Particularly in the context of me getting run over by this zinc company. In the context of management, in the context of, and I'm always saying this, the market is made up of people. We think of large companies as huge monoliths that can't go anywhere, and they can, and they do. And it's because people run them, and people are the ones who answer the phones, and people are the ones who make decisions. It's, we're all fallible. Well, I'll tell you, it, it, I mean, certainly having gone through this maybe twice in 30 years, um, I'm reminded uh, as of this last one with Horsehead that Charlie's explanation that number one, we have to be capable of understanding the business is very true. And I understood that business very well. Number two, it has to have a big moat, an intrinsic characteristic that protects it. And it does. So this is this business, a big moat business based on low cost producer. And then number three, you have to have management with integrity and talent. And you thought you had that. You talked and, about that last time. Yeah, we thought so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the events proved differently. And this is something that reminds me that Charlie is saying that we would like to have that. It's not a criteria. And the reason I think maybe that it's not a criteria is because it's virtually impossible to know for sure. Yeah. You just and I don't think we know. Should t- I'm going to keep us on track. I think we should talk about that when we get to point number three. Okay. Management. All right. Then let's jump in on point number one. I'm going to even go before number one. Where are you going? I'm going to pre-number one. Okay. I don't don't know what it's called. All right. I don't either. Nano point. Is it just... Okay, good. It's finding a business. So Charlie is saying... Charlie begins without stating it that you're looking at a specific business. Ah, so he's not beginning at the beginning. He's not beginning at the beginning. That's right. Of course he's not because he's too smart. He just goes straight over it as though it's obvious. Yeah. Nothing is obvious to me. So oh, I love this. So we're starting off, we're going to fix Charlie. No. Is, oh, yeah, we're going to improve Charlie. That. We're improving I, Charlie. I do not co-sign what you just said. Charlie, we're improving right now. I don't think anybody should listen to you on Okay, that. I'm pretty excited by this. <laughs> <laughs> I've been no. studying Charlie Munger a long time. I never even thought, okay, let's, let's, and really the truth is that Finding a business is where we, we have to begin, right? We have to begin with something right. that not, we want to look Right. We're not improving at. on Charlie. He we're just, not improving he just on skipped. He just was assuming that right. you had a business yeah. that you were analyzing. And Charlie would basically say, throw a dart, moron, and <laughs> you know, hit a stock, and then we can talk about it, the four things. Right. So the first question is, what do we do in order to even find a business? Like, here I am. We take a dart, and we throw it, 
at a list of all the 8,000 stocks. That stock. is so unhelpful. Done. <laughs> Such a waste of time to even say that. But wait, it's not. That is exactly what modern portfolio theory says we should do. Because modern portfolio theory says that every one of those 8,000 stocks is properly priced at its value right now. So throwing a dart and hitting one and then analyzing that is perfectly acceptable. That's crazy, I know, but that's exactly what they teach in school. That's exactly how the SEC teaches its financial advisors. And that is the basis of, of the entire modern portfolio theory of investment management. And we can hear just from me saying that how crazy that is. I was going to say that that kind of makes sense. Oh, no. <laughs> you changed your mind. <laughs> no, and... I haven't changed my okay. mind. Here's why. What I said earlier is that actually it probably does work most of the time and depending on your time horizon. Right. So work for what? For for companies to be efficiently priced by a market. But but that doesn't mean you would want to own them. No, it doesn't. But what I'm saying Even is, if it's right if, about if the all price. you're trying to do is find a company in order to, to analyze start. it, okay, okay. you throw a dart. Fair okay, enough. like I'm going to say, like, I don't know what percentage, but if we're saying most companies are efficiently priced, given your time horizon, All let's, right, say, let's say 70 percent. I get your point. Maybe then, then your maybe dart's going to land on the 70 percent. Okay, so you get a seven, seven chances out of 10 of hitting one that's priced efficiently. But just, it's a I terrible place think, to start. I just don't think it's all that useful to, I mean, I get that it's kind of like fun to say, but I just don't think it's all that useful to be saying that a bunch of really smart people who think this certain thing are categorically wrong in every way, because I don't think they are categorically wrong in, in every way. They are categorically <laughs> wrong in every way and somehow got three Nobel Prizes <laughs> for being categorically wrong in every way. And Nicholas Taleb, who wrote Black Swan, Fooled by Randomness, uh, Anti-Fragile, goes into great detail about how incredible it is to look at the actual research for which they they awarded the Nobel Prizes to these guys from Modern Portfolio Theory and discover that in the research, it proves they're wrong. So they are okay. categorically wrong. You can't have it both ways. You can't at one hand say, these are the required uh, uh, axioms for Modern Portfolio Theory and then disprove every single one of them and still say that these guys are, oh, yeah, they're, they're kind of right, you know, it's in the ballpark. Okay, well, I can't disprove every single one of them, and I know virtually nothing about economics, so I can't even have a proper discussion. But here's what I will say, because I do think that I was an economics genius on one day <laughs> on this podcast, which was that your risk equaling volatility can be true depending on your time horizon. I think whether you're looking at a five-minute ownership of stock or a five-year ownership of stock, really matters yeah. as to whether or not the risk is calculated into that price at a given time. That's really genius because that is not in the theory. Oh, it's not? And it's true. But that should be in the theory. It should be. But then it would. Then the theory would have to say, oh, depending on the time factor, this thing might not be valued at its price. And they don't want to say that. I mean, I think they're just assuming that. They're assuming it's, it's priced like, properly at all moments. Regardless of time. Regardless horizon. of time. It has to be part of the theory or the whole math goes to hell. So beta goes completely out the window and everything just doesn't work. Because their theory, remember, has to be mathematically accurate. They have to be able to do it with formulas. And those are the formulas that created the big short. Those are the formulas that created the, the insanity of pricing horrible bonds at triple A rated. I mean, that's all because of these formulas. And so these formulas are, have fundamental axiom uh, that, are, that are false. And as a result, the whole thing is false. Whew. Yeah. So, finding a stock <laughs> <laughs> is not going to work to throw a dart at 70% of the market. Because when, we, when the dart hits, what we discover is we still need to know if it's any kind of a good business. Right. So that throws us right back onto Charlie. So we might as well start at some place where we already realize that going into step one, it means we need to be capable of understanding the business. And step four is it needs to be on sale. 
And step three, it's got to have some kind of characteristic, or step two is it's got to have a characteristic that makes it durable. So maybe we should start with at least one of those things. Wait, what are you talking about? I'm just talking about literally like you sit down and I go, I need to find a stock. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, then what? And your dad says... Okay, well, the then what is, I would recommend you find something that you're capable of understanding. Okay, okay. So, um, I'm just thinking out loud. You say a lot about three circles. There's a, there's a way. I love the three circles. We've never really explained them, I think, on this podcast. True. Well, <clears throat> there's a good book written by a Stanford professor um, called Good to Great, which he, where he talks about consulting to Fortune 500 companies that are trying to completely shift the direction of their businesses. And he took them through what's called the three circles exercise, where he said to management, figure out what you guys are really talented at. What's, what, do you, what do you, as a group of managers, what can you really do better than anybody? And by talented, he meant, what are you capable of being number one in the world at, right? Okay. So really talented. And then he said, and what do you love to do? What do you wanna do all day long, right? What are you passionate about? <laughs> and how do you make money, you know, with a certain kind of a business? So his wife took that and said, you know, honey, I love to run the triathlon. I think I'm world-class talented if I went at it full-time. And, um, and so I'm both passionate and talented. And if I was able to win the Ironman in Hawaii, Nike would sponsor me and I'd have money. Totally. <clears throat> and she went and did it. Awesome. She became number one in the world. That's awesome. It was awesome. And there's a guy at Caltech. <clears throat> who was taking theoretical physics, which means he was already a genius-level person. And in his class, of, of in his PhD program, um, he realized he was studying his rear end off, working really hard to do the PhD program at Caltech. Mm-hmm. And there were two guys in class who didn't study at all. They were like straight out of that movie um, with Matt Damon. Goodwill Good Hunting. Hunting, yeah. <laughs> they would just go up to the blackboard, you know, <laughs> and out would come the answer. And he realized that every year Caltech graduated a couple of those guys, mm-hmm. and so did MIT, and so did the best university in China, and the best in India, and the best in Germany. In other words, the world was populated every year with 30 or 40 people who could do that. Okay. In which case, he was not world class. Good point. So, very talented, but not world class. Yeah. So, he shifted to applied physics, which competes against engineering, where he could be world class and okay. change his entire career. Wow, that's like a cold method of like self-analysis. Awesome. Yeah, and in very happy. Very I bet happy. he would make a good investor in the <laughs> Munger style, not getting messed up by the vicissitudes of life. Exactly. So the point is that there's this exercise where I've changed it a little bit for investors. And you can go on our website at rule1investing.com and click on search three circles, and it'll take you into the exercise. And it you basically... I give you a list of all of the industries in the stock market and a little summary of what that industry is all about and all and the major stocks that are in it. And you find the, the companies that you already know something about well, what that are, what are, are selling three... stuff that you're passionate about. Okay, because those don't circle. correspond quite to investing. So how do you frame it for investing? So you just you're just looking for what are things you're passionate about. So like when okay, I started off, so one off, is stuff you're passionate about. Yeah, stuff you're passionate about. Like I love to go to good hotels. I don't know where <laughs> you got that, but I love it. You know, when I was a river guide, I loved the idea of going on a cruise ship. Okay. You know? um, why? Why? Because. I wanted somebody else to cook all the meals <laughs> and take care of me for two weeks. I thought that'd be awesome. So you look at, you, and I, I was really passionate about motorcycles. I loved, I still am, I love them. So all right, I used so to build dad and, liked unexplainedly cruise ships. Yeah, difficult to understand, I know. Sorry, I, to me they're like cesspools of disease. I, I can't, <laughs> sorry to everybody employed by cruise ships out there. I, I just I mean, can't handle it. Believe me, the, the glasses you're looking through and you're spending your life in this uninhabited desert river environment are very different than when you're living in the city. <laughs> the city looks pretty good after all. The lights of Las Vegas can be very attractive if you spent five months in the wilderness. Oh, yeah. You know. 
that sh- first shower after you go camping. That's so That's good. a pretty good shower, yeah. All right, Definitely. cruise ships, motorcycles. By the way, did you know what the showers look like in the guidehouse? I, I don't know if I ever told you this. I don't want to know about oh that. Oh, my God. Uh, Nobody cleaned the shower fungus for 10 years, like, as far as I know. I can't. I really, like, I'm having a hard time right now. Yeah, okay, It's great. really gross. Okay. Um, so cruise ships and motorcycles. Mm-hmm. What else? So take a look at you. I mean, what what if I were to say, give me three things that you're totally passionate about. What okay. Would, what would, you know, grab three. They don't have to be the best three. Just what's three? Um, yoga. Okay, write it down. Yoga. Hotels. Hotels. Um, what's another one? Like, I mean, obviously there's like personal stuff, but you're talking sure. about like, anything. Do you like to shop? What do you love to buy? I mean, you're, you, yeah, so you're, you're into purses. You're talking about like commercial. Like I'm not going to say shoes. like my family is, is something I'm passionate no. about because that doesn't involve commercial. You're talking well, about you commercial could, enterprises. You could, you could. If you're passionate about your family and your religion, put it down, right? Or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Okay. You I'm going to put, put down. down my family. You don't limit yourself. Just you can make a list of 50 things. Okay. Because the computer's going to handle it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Gonna stick stick you in different kinds of things. Okay, so you just well, let's assume you know we're just working this out in our minds. Yeah. So number one, circle one, stuff you're passionate about. What's right. circle number two? Talent. Talent. What are you good at? Which you know for me might be things that I'm maybe not all that passionate about, but I'm pretty good at them. You know, like um, I've done a lot of stuff in my life that I've gotten pretty good at. And I'm talented at. You know. Just give me two. Okay, I'm good at jumping out of airplanes. Jumping from good airplanes. (laughs) Perfectly good airplanes. But I'm not (laughs) passionate about it, so I don't pursue it, you know? It doesn't matter. We're in the talented section. That's right. What's number two? um, I'm I'm talented at... um, Polo. Yeah. Polo. Horses. Polo. Okay, polo. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough. All right, you give me two. What are you Um, talented at? I'm talented at... I don't know what I'm talented at. Well. Law. Law. I'm talented at law. Yeah, you're talented at law. And. Um, you're a really good traveler, I gotta say. You can be talented at travel? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Some people are terrible that. travelers. Traveling. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I run into them in the TSA lines all the time. I'm in a line called oh. pre-T, pre, right? I'm in the pre. And I'm going through, and everybody's supposed to be like super traveler, right? Right. Right. And that means you just know the rules, and you put, you keep your shoes on, you keep your coat on, you put your stuff You're in there. You're talking about walk TSA through. pre. Yeah. Yeah. And it, all the time, people get in that line who don't know what to do. And I don't understand how they get into that I line. I don't know you. And let me tell you they something. They go through the thing, and it goes beep, and then they come back out and they take off their watch, and they go they, through the thing, and it's beep, and they come back out and they take so out their keys. I have TSA pre, and you have TSA pre because we both have global entry, and you get TSA pre when you get global entry. Right. But I know people who do not have global entry. I know them personally in real life. They do not have global entry, and they rarely travel, and yet they get TSA pre randomly and regularly. Uh, and regularly, well, you know, the two times a year they travel. On their plane tickets. And those are the people with their keys and those in their are pocket. The people. Yes. If <sighs> you're one of those people, just you get to leave everything on. But take your but keys take your out, stuff out of, of your, your pocket. pocket. <laughs> this has been a public service. <laughs> 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 the line's supposed to move. Dad, they should just have our voices like over the loudspeaker yeah. in the um, in the like Denver airport and um, if you, security <laughs> line. Instead of public service announcement, <laughs> and if you happen to be in the pre in the TSA pre line and you don't realize it, and then you get to the person who's checking ID, and they go, "You're not in the in the correct line," and they try to send you to the other. Don't stand there and argue with them. The rest of us are right behind you waiting for you to get out of the way. You're in the wrong line. Just Uh-oh. leave. Go back. Go out of the door. They're not going to talk them into it. But leave. you know what happens sometimes? See, here's the thing what? with TSA Pre. Only American Airlines have it because it's like a deal with no, the no, government. Delta. Delta is an American airline. A, a US, oh, and a U.S. Mar- okay, gotcha. A U.S. of A airline. Oh. Only they have it. So I always think I have TSA pre because I'm used to having it. But yes. when I fly internationally on a non-U.S. airline, I don't have it. 
Oh. So I always have to say to myself, like, wait a second, I got to check my ticket because I'm on British Airways or something, and I never have TSA. Which means I could easily be in the right line, and there, the person holding everything up is you. You, you could You're do holding it. it. That's you my daughter it. up there. And you could be hearing your own voice over the loudspeaker in the security <laughs> line Listen, telling you not to be an idiot. It's a good thing we don't digress in this podcast. So <laughs> I'm sure this is... Go ahead and tell us how this is application to... Oh, yeah, it's because we're doing... Our talents. It's Let's because go to the you third said one. I was talented you're at traveling. Talent. You're very good traveler. I think I just proved to everyone the, with my informational <laughs> digression yes. how talented how I am. Very good. Because you didn't know that. That's true. Okay, third, number three. Money. And this will be a great big one. This is money. easy. Where do you spend it and how do you make it? Okay, so. Where do you spend it mm-hmm. and how do you make it? Yep. This will be a huge list because... I feel like that's like such a life question. Everyone's going to be like, Where, how do I make it? I mean, this is the huge one because you are making decisions about products every single day when you're buying stuff. You're making a product decision. And some public company, chances are, makes that product. Okay. So, there you go. Dad, what are yours? Okay, well, I love all kinds. I spend money on tractors. <laughs> I just went to the tractor place yesterday with you and Nuno and got a tractor. Yeah, you did. In fact, Nuno is off getting one now. He's like picking up a gator. He's very excited. He's totally very thrilled, excited. isn't he? Um, it, okay, tractors. Right? And so I chose John Deere. We, we haven't made it oh, to I haven't the done end that. yet. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Tractors, what else? Tractors. Uh, horses. Horses. Okay. Right? That's good. That's Two's good. Right. Okay. I spend it on traveling for sure. Me too. Well, you only got to give two. <laughs> okay. And I spend it on, I spend it on like, honestly, on like yoga and Pilates a lot. Yeah. 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 Good. It's a little sad, but. Do you ever buy food? Well, I only gave two. Okay. We're only doing two, but you can get the general. All right. My, my number three, you're right, is organic food. Yep. Non-processed. Everybody who listens to this knows that for sure. Restaurants. Okay. See, this one but I don't really, loaded. I don't really go out that much. I have to say. Really? Yeah. I like to cook. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get like Blue Apron? I mean, I have been to a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to stores and buy food and come home and cook it. Yeah, I okay. do. So those, this is like, we could spend all day on this and, okay. and you should spend all day on this. The three circles are stuff you're passionate about, mm-hmm. stuff you're talented at, mm-hmm. and then overarching heading money ominously. Where do you spend it and how do you make it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yours are stuff you're passionate. Where do you Where do you make money here on this? Well, you didn't say where you made it, so I didn't say where I made it. Okay. So I make mine investing. Investing. Yep. And I'm law and investing. Right. Okay. So we got a pile. Okay. So yours... Um, now, your pile should be 50, 60 things here, probably. Oh, are you serious? Mm-hmm. That's a big effort. Okay. Yeah, you make a big effort here. All right. Um, but let's just see if you have anything that overlaps here. So you have cruise ships and motorcycles you love. Mm-hmm. You have Well, talent. we made the list so short... <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with we're this. Not gonna, we're not going to see a lot of over. So here's the point. We want to we focus on some things that are in multiple circles. But mine overlap. Okay, let's look you at yours. You failed, mine, but I mine win. Didn't. Mine overlap because I said I was passionate about hotels, and I'm talented at traveling, mm. and I spend money on traveling. Okay, you've got something in all three circles. Yeah. Which is exactly the thing you should focus on right off the bat. I could do that. Okay. So immediately we're going to look for something that is in those three circles. And the traveling is in three circles. So when you go to, um, to the tool set, you'll find that there's an industry around travel. And it's going to include... So airlines, airlines hotels, trains, hotels. Probably cruise ships. Cruise ships. I'm not going to buy any of those. Yep. All that stuff, and you're going to find there's even Abercrombie and Fitch kinds of, or Abercrombie and Kent Abercrombie kind of, Kent. Uh, Fitch, no, <laughs> uh, for, you like know, safaris. travel agencies. And, yeah. And so there's this world of travel. Okay. And then within that world of travel, there are going to be some companies that you've already used a lot. 
Yeah. Right? So that, that I'm familiar What hotel with. do you like the best? Um, like hotel chain that would be publicly traded sure. or just what hotel do I like best? Well, either way, because the one you like the best, you can then extrapolate to a public company and say what's like that one. Oh, well, my favorites are the Amman Resorts. Yep. Amangani and Jackson yeah, the Hall. The Amangani and Jackson. I've actually never stayed in any of them, but they're amazing. $1,400 a night. That's why I've never stayed in any of them. <laughs> Those are quite nice. They're, I don't think they're publicly traded, but actually I don't know. Let's check it out. Because right? they, were, they were bought by somebody a few years ago who's really expanded it. So I'm immediately going on the computer because I'm just curious, right? Now, the, the, the computer at our website, um, it'll do some of this for you. But let's just play with it for a second. Um, you remember how to spell? Yeah, it's A-M-A-N. Amon Resorts. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going Google Amon Resorts. And um, whenever you bring up a company like this, what you're going to do is to see if it's public or not, <clears throat> is look for investor relations. Okay. And if you can't find it, it might be because it's a private company. In this case, I'm going to scroll down and it looks at contact us, wellness, leadership, terms of use. Right there around more information, almost inevitably there's going to be investor relations or yeah, investors. Yeah, I think that it's not public. I think it's not. Public. I think it was bought by a private hotel group that has really expanded it, but I think they're not public. Yep. So if I'm, if I'm still digging in, I want to know for sure, you know, I'm going to get on their get in touch page and just ask them a, a question. Mm. You can just send them an email mm. and um, they'll get back to you right away and tell you, no, we're private. Okay. So this was a good example because I would consider this a total fail. Right. What's your opinion? Oh, what about... It's not public. No, but we haven't so done like, the three circles either. <clears throat> because what's going to happen on the three circles exercise is it's only going to find public companies. Oh, wait, you mean on your website? Yeah. Uh, I just went out here just to see, just for fun, in case you wanted to look around. Let's assume somebody's not using your website. Okay, if you're not using the website, then, then basically... Then you got to do that exercise <clears throat> Then basically you go over, times, Well, right? you go over to Yahoo, let's say, and you go to yahoo.com which is a pretty good site for industries. Mm -hmm. um, you go to yahoo.com and you go to their uh, finance someplace. Well, they've changed their website, been a long time. Oh, there it is, finance is on the left-hand column. And um, now I'm over in Yahoo Finance and I'm looking for, this is just search for stuff. Okay, well, I wanna do finance, home, market, industry news. Okay, here we go. I'm looking at industry news, and I see there's a bunch of industries there. It doesn't really help me much. I'm so looking I think for what travel. You're, are, you, are you looking for an industry? Yeah, I'm basically going to say you're travel. Doing. You're looking for, like, the travel industry. Right. And it comes up with the traveler's company, so that's not much of a help. Okay. That's why our website's so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually help you with this. I um, bet that there are some, some better ways to do this. Probably. Um, probably involving Google. Oh, well, probably absolutely right. Let's go do that. It's probably a lot smarter. But the point is, what the, the idea here is, I think, is basically like go online and research the industry that meets your three circles, right? Yep. And through looking online, rather than starting with maybe one company like we just did and had a total fail on because it was not public, maybe by going online you can find... Um, there's a, a list of public companies, of and then and then recognize companies within that. Is uh, that the idea? Yeah, and I just I basically just went online and and I hit the second link down, and it starts linking travel and tourism stocks, and it shows me airlines, airlines foreign, cruise ships, hotels, hotel REITs, that's real estate investment trusts that own hotels, timeshares, travel services, and then related links are large cap entertainment and leisure, which means big big companies over whatever, five billion or so, mid-cap entertainment leisure, small-cap, micro-cap, amusement parks, casinos, hospitality and restaurants, ski resorts. Oh, I know about ski resorts. <clears throat> so let's go ski resorts. See, um, that's that's useful. Isn't that fun? Related industries. Yeah, so we go into ski resorts, and it tells me, oh, here's all the ski resorts and how they've been doing interwest. Peak Resorts and Vale Resorts are the three publicly traded ski resorts. Oh, I am familiar with those. So there you go. So let's go to Vale Resorts. And now we're looking at a quote 
on Vail Resort's stock price, which has gone wild here since June. Okay, so this brings up another three circles question. Mm-hmm. Because I would put snowboarding under stuff I'm passionate about. Yeah. I would put snowboarding under where I spend money. And talent. I would not put snowboarding <laughs> under talent. So you snowboard out of helicopters. Here's You're pretty question. darn good. Here's the question. Yeah. If I somehow like sort of back, com- uh, what was that? Not back testing, but you know, like kind of reverse engineer this process. Right. And I find something like Vail Resorts, which I go like, oh, I actually know a lot about Vail Resorts. Yes, you do. And I wouldn't have thought of it, but it doesn't meet. It doesn't exactly meet my three circles. It would have. Can I? Can if I still put in snowboarding, snowboarding, snowboarding? Obviously, if I faked the the talent circle, yes, then it would work. Well, you would have gotten two out of three anyway. So that's what I'm asking you. Yeah, two out of three is fine. One out of three is fine. I'm asking you, does it have to like match your three circles? Perfectly. Perfectly. No. no. This is just, it's just a way to get going? Exactly. Okay. It's a way to find. It's a okay. way to find. Okay. Now, I think more and more that I'm wrong about six and we're going to go to eight. <laughs> you can't steal my number. <laughs> because I want to talk some more about find. I think find yeah. is huge. It's huge. Yeah, we got to talk and, about And that. I, I want to talk about... Other ways to find stuff, right? Okay. Using scanning tools, and I want to talk about gurus who are buying stocks. Okay. I want to talk about friend recommendations, broker recommendations, Whoa. newsletters. All that stuff is a ways people find. I don't know any brokers. Okay. okay. So let's talk about that next time. All right. So three circles. I think I got it. Okay. Um, it's a way to get in the ballpark. It's a way to get in the ballpark. Right. You don't have to match them exactly. No. And the three circles are stuff you're passionate about, stuff you're talented at, and basically, like, how does your money come in and out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, how's your money come in and out? Very good. All right, so more find next time. Okay. Until then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do to go is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.